31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour Engel. René Cronier, Royal Lieu, 45,415, with a question mark. Friends are important, aren't they? You spend time with them. Good times, you talk. You don't have to agree with friends about everything. You'd expect to disagree, actually, from time to time. You don't have to talk about everything either, like politics, for example. Today is the 27th of June 1941. René Cronier is brought to the Matignon Hotel in Paris by bus. This is where the French government used to be, before everything changed, before the German army crushed the French. Now the government is hundreds of kilometers away, and it is a place to transit prisoners. The whole operation is easily dealt with. The police commissioner escorting the buses signs a few documents. Just a few documents, bearing no meaning to him. Yet, this changes everything to René Cronier and 87 other prisoners. From the Incour Center, a place run by the French authorities, they are now officially given to the German authorities. With the surprise attack against Soviet Union, a new step was crossed, and the French communists represent a danger that the German authorities are now taking very seriously. Back in August 1940, René was done with it all. Done with being a soldier, done with the war, this funny war as it was called, that wasn't funny or funny at all to René. René didn't fight, he stayed in a position which needed no holding, he waited for an enemy that never came. The French intelligence had been sure that just like World War I, Germany would attempt to cross the French border through East. This was the only area where tanks could navigate. So a grand line of defense was built, the Maginot Line. German soldiers simply built better tanks and went around it. So the French army waited, eyes facing the other side of the Maginot line, without realizing the Germans were already behind. They entered Neuilly, René's hometown near Paris, on the 13th of June. They entered Paris on the 14th of June. It was a shock. In barely two weeks, France just lost the war. Ici, Radio Diffusion Nationale de l'État français. Mesdames, Messieurs, Monsieur le Maréchal Pétain, Président du Conseil des Ministres, vous parle. Français, à l'appel de Monsieur le Président de la République, j'assume à partir d'aujourd'hui la direction du gouvernement de la France. C'est le cœur serré que je vous dis aujourd'hui qu'il faut cesser le combat. Je me suis adressé cette nuit à l'adversaire pour lui demander s'il est prêt à rechercher avec moi, entre soldats, après la lutte et dans l'honneur, les moyens de mettre un terme aux hostilités. Que tous les Français se groupent autour du gouvernement que je préside pendant ces heures, pendant ces dures épreuves, et fassent taire leur angoisse pour n'obéir qu'à leur foi dans le destin de la patrie. Back to the present, three days later. We are now the 30th of June, 1941. It isn't too hot nor too cold. It's one of those grey days you would prefer to skip. René has no choice. The transfer goes on. 
The prisoners didn't stay in Matignon very long. They were then sent to the Romainville fort, and now they are headed to the Bourget train station. The train ride at Le Bourget is uncomfortable. Everyone feels packed in the wagon. You can barely sit down, but at least it isn't long. The train stops at Compiègne. René has never been to Compiègne. He wonders if it's nice. If he'll ever go on a weekend trip with the family one day. Everyone steps down. The Wehrmacht soldiers shout, and now they walk through the city. Yes, the situation has changed a great deal. There are no more French soldiers or policemen. They are now surrounded by German uniforms. A year earlier, in August 1940, René came back to his wife, Gabrielle and daughter Mireille. Nothing had happened to them, it was time to start all over again, under German rule this time. No army, no communist party, none of this anymore. He took his job back as an accountant and went back to see his two drinking buddies. They were such good company, no need to impress them, they could talk about anything easily. His first friend was a policeman, but they rarely talked about their respective jobs. Second friend, they actually had no idea what he was doing, and he didn't really want to ask. Maybe sitting at the terrace of the bar was his job, who knows. Those looking at him, René could feel them. So could he hear the whispers around him. If France lost the conflict, it was because of men like him, the communists, the downers, the anti-wars. He probably didn't fight, and if he did, it wasn't enough. There were gossips like those about him, constantly. Yet he was mobilized for an entire year. How could he be the only bearer of the defeat? René tried to be above those gossips. He was here to enjoy a drink, not rumors of his supposed treachery. René may have been done with his past, but his past wasn't done with him. Called by the police commissioner of Neuilly-Plaisance, René had to explain his present and past ties with the French Communist Party. René explained himself. The past was in the past. René didn't have any more ties with the communists. He didn't even have the beginning of the start of a conversation about the Communist Party. This was all over. This should have been enough, but the commissioner had doubts. And during Vichy, doubts were sufficient. On the 11th of March, a few communist leaflets laid on the pavement. Whoever was responsible was to pay. Yet to the commissioner, anyone involved with the Communist Party was responsible. A quick glance at some files and just like that, four names got picked to get arrested. On the 13th of March, Gabriel saw two policemen in the distance. On the 13th of March, Gabrielle saw two policemen in the distance. She ran to René. She knew they were coming for her husband. She told him to jump the back garden fences and run away. René refused. He knew that if he did, they would have arrested Gabriel, and there was no way he'd let that happen. So René kissed his wife and daughter and opened the door. His friend was there, dressed for work, dressed for him. He wasn't there to have a drink, to discuss anything. He was there to arrest him. René smiled. His friend wasn't smiling. He wasn't expecting to see René. He didn't even know where he lived. They should have talked more, about personal matters, about politics even, and this could maybe have been avoided. René was sent directly to the Ancourt French camp. No trial, no letters, no visit, no nothing. As for his friend, the policeman, he never went back for an after-work drink with his third friend. He could never have told him why René disappeared. 
the last man of the afterwork drink circle kept on going for a while ending up drinking by himself until he eventually gave up. Back to the present, René is walking down the street of Compiègne. A new camp is opening, the Royal Yo Camp, French road, or with a German supervision, no one is sure. Everyone feels observed by the inhabitants of Compiègne, but no one says a word. This is as ridiculous as it is awkward. Someone in the group shouts, There we are. Look at us. French like you, sold by Pétain. And someone else starts singing the French national anthem. René starts singing too, and quickly all the prisoners do the same. This is powerful. René smiles as he sings. Maybe he isn't done with it all. He can always make new friends, and after all, René will eventually get out of his camp. Yes, René knows he will. It may feel like entering occupied France for now, this camp, but René knows it won't last long. Thank you for listening to the first episode of 31,000-45,000, the story of two trains of French members of the Resistance. My name is Mathieu Landau-Rengel. I am a French person living in London. Three years ago, I was given a book, Red Triangles in Auschwitz, by Claudine cardon Amet, a French historian, and I have decided to dedicate my time in telling the story of the 31,000 and the 45,000. In every episode, I will tell you about a woman or a man. I will tell you one story about them. This episode was about René Cronier, who lived in Neuilly, a city attached to Paris, where he was arrested, apparently by a policeman he knew closely, a friend he was having after-hours drinks with. This, I feel, is an interesting point to make regarding France during the Second World War. The country was divided. France made different decisions, putting them in different situations. Having to make difficult choices, in this case, René was arrested by his own friend. I will develop this further on a later episode by communists in France back in 1940 were not in a good situation. The communists were partly blamed when Germany invaded France and won the war. They didn't fight hard enough, not as hard as the brave soldiers who won the First World War. This accusation was not based on anything the French soldiers, communists or not, fought pretty much the same. The defeat of the French army was based on many different factors, and the communist soldiers was not a very important one. Yet, the official position of the Communist Party was indeed to be against the French declaration of war against Germany after Germany invaded Poland, as there was a pact of non-aggression between Germany and Soviet Union. Although not all the communists were in agreement with the pact and most of the communists were far from happy when France was occupied by the German troops. The Maginot Line was a long and absurd line of defense. It was named after a French minister of war, André Maginot. It was a line of fortification constructed on the border between France and its western neighbors except for Belgium. It was believed it wasn't necessary to build defenses between France and Belgium as Belgium was a long time ally to France, also because it was believed that tanks could never cross the Ardennes forest, which was a natural border between France and Belgium. Despite warnings of some French generals, including a younger not yet, General de Gaulle, the German army invaded France through Belgium, therefore the Maginot Line was perfectly useless. So why 
Did France lose the war against Germany back in 1940? The Maginot Line is not the only reason, far from it. The French and British forces were superior in number, they had good material, the French B-1 tanks were even stronger than the German tanks. The German army made a few mistakes along the way, so how come the French army lost so quickly? There are a few reasons. Logistics plays a huge part in the defeat. The Allies were superior in number, yet their means of communications were bad, even worse between the French and the British, whereas the German army had very effective radio system, therefore they were quick to react. The French tanks may have been stronger, yet they were spread out and needed to be refueled regularly so they would be quickly and effective. On the contrary, the German tanks were very well resupplied and the German army fought the conflict with tanks and IRL supports, where the French army still relied with horses, a few tanks and a little bit of IRL support. A First World War way of thinking. More importantly, the German army had two very good ideas. The first was to attack through the Netherlands and Belgium rather than the Maginot Line. This plan worked out so well that the German army pierced through the German border in several points. This plan worked so well that some divisions like the Rommel division went as far as 50 kilometers into the French territory without meeting any strong resistance. Then the German army had a second idea. Rather than keeping on piercing through France and heading to Paris, which wasn't that far away anymore, the German forces headed north in order to circle and trap the bulk of the French and British forces. This eventually led to the Dunkirk exit of the British forces and the loss of countless lives and equipment. The French and British soldiers fought as well as they could, they actually fought incredibly well in some areas, yet at this point the British army was retreating and the French government very much discouraged. Regarding René Cronier, I know he was a soldier and I know he was called during the war, yet I don't know if René was stationed near the Maginot Line. It could have been someplace else. It is known that René Cronier was brought in before a prefect or commissioner to mention his communist past, that he was arrested by a policeman friend he used to have after hours drinks with, that René's wife advised him to run away when the police came to arrest him, that René preferred to stay as running away could have meant his wife's arrestation. How René felt during this event is speculation on my part. Little is known. I also mentioned that René Cronier was one of the early prisoners of the Royal Lyon camp near the city of Compiègne, east of Paris. The camp was indeed an internment camp, a fully German-run camp within the French territory and quite possibly the only fully German-run camp. 70% of the prisoners were political prisoners, 12% Jewish, Like the Drancy camp, Royalieu soon became a place of transit for prisoners to be deported to Eastern Europe. I will explain this further in a later episode. I have been trying to find René Cronier's relatives, unfortunately, my research wasn't successful. If by any chance you know of someone related to René Cronier or his grandson Michel Tricot, please let me know. I would be very pleased to get in touch with him and make sure the text I wrote doesn't contain any errors. Sources for this story are the Memoir Vive website, as well as Red Triangles for Auschwitz, a book by Claudine cardon Amé and Wikipedia. I am putting a very interesting link below, detailing the weeks of France invasion by the German army, the defense of the country, as well as the Dunkirk exit. Thank you very much for your attention. Next episode will be about Christophe Lemeur. Thirty-one thousand, forty-five thousand, 
the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel.